Imposter syndrome is the psychological phenomenon in which an individual doubts their accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. Despite evidence of their accomplishments, most individuals attribute their success to luck or as a result of deceiving others into thinking they are more intelligent than they perceive themselves to be. Have you ever had feelings like this? Have you ever felt overwhelmed in your job or in school? Or ever felt like it's really difficult to balance your personal identity with your work identity? Well, you're not alone. Today we're joined by Katie Wiedemeyer Stromble, who is happiest in the ocean, loves to bake, and enjoys hanging out with her dog and husband. But she's also a PhD candidate at the University of Texas, El Paso. Remember, it's important to balance your work and life, but we'll get to that later. We're incredibly excited to have her on our show as she has become a champion and incredible advocate for graduate students everywhere. She openly discusses her successes and her struggles in graduate school through both her blog and on Twitter and uses these as ways to connect and relate to graduate students everywhere. This open dialogue about self-care, mental health awareness, and navigating professional and personal relationships in graduate school creates a sense of camaraderie and transparency about graduate student life. On this week's episode, we will discuss work-life balance, imposter syndrome, as well as provide some tips and strategies for overcoming some of these challenges in all walks of professional life. So stay tuned. Our deep dive with Katie is coming up next. Now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together Thought I was sunshine, but baby, I'm bad weather I'm off the Doppler in the five-day forecast By the time they hear me, I've already pushed the shore back No, no, I wasn't always like this Skies cleared soon as my daylight lit Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency I could take your February and turn it into spring I was born on a storm When I get gone, I get gone And I don't need anyone to know better I'm so excited for this podcast because we have an awesome guest who I've been constantly following on Twitter and loving all of her uh, tweets that make me feel okay about being a graduate student and struggling sometimes. Um, so on this week's episode, we have Katie Wiedemeyer Stromble, and she is a PhD candidate at the University of Texas at El Paso. So welcome, Katie. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm uh, happy to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm, we're so happy to have you. Min isn't here, but um, I am here holding down the fort. And so hopefully we should have a really great conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, awesome. Um, so just to kind of start us off, and for those of you that don't know Katie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, maybe what you study, and then we'll kind of take questions after that. Yeah, so I am uh, I'm from a small town in Southern California called Summerland, California, um, uh, but I live in Texas now, finishing up my PhD. I uh, am happiest in the ocean, although I currently live in the desert, and um, you know, I I like to bake and hang out with my dog and my husband and I are currently obsessed with the great British baking show on Netflix. Yeah. And then it inspires us every weekend to make something homemade and kind of fancy. Um, And so in addition to that, I'm also of course a a PhD candidate at the university of Texas, El Paso, like you mentioned, and uh, I'm an interdisciplinary conservation scientist. So I uh, integrate the social and natural sciences to improve conservation of endangered species. And more specifically, my dissertation research looks at 
um, involving local knowledge in El Salvador and Nicaragua and small fishing villages. So really um, engaging with local fishermen who are the true experts of their local mm. ecology um, mm-hmm. to help us better understand where in the water critically endangered hawksbill sea turtles are growing up. Wow. I would also like to point out that you are an anonymous turtle in my Google doc. Right <laughs> um, so it's very on point <laughs> for this conversation. Yeah, I like that. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, so I take I do uh, social science to help uh, generate baseline information, and then I go out and employ some natural science methods to try to figure out uh, where we can find these sea turtles in the water uh, so that we can better conserve them and so that we can better kind of work together to conserve them as well. That's really cool. And I like the way that you framed uh, kind of the interdisciplinary like component of what you do, because I feel like we, me in particular, I say like I'm an interdisciplinary scientist. Um, often, but I don't frame it in such a way that I think you really broke out the social science and the natural science parts very well and kind of really melded them together in such a way that it was like they complement one another. And I liked how you um, really broke that out. So it was great. Thanks. Yeah, it's something that um, I'm really I'm really excited that I that I had the opportunity to work with the advisor that I have now who really encourages this really true interdisciplinary work and really bringing them together and showing them how they how, like you said, how they can really complement one another, um, because right. there yeah. are there is so much that we can learn from the different methodologies and, the, you know, and the different kind of like grounded theories in the literature on both fields. There's mm-hmm. so much that goes so well together. And of course, I mean, from a conservation side, there's no conservation without a human dimension of that these days. And so it's Correct. especially important to kind of bridge the gap between the fields. And um, so I just, I really love that I get the opportunity to do that because it really um, are two parts of science that I really love to do. So I just feel really lucky that I get to do both of them. So I want to steer us in a direction that kind of lends itself well to the topic of our podcast today. And you actually mentioned a really good segue, which is that your advisor gets kind of allows you to be in this interdisciplinary space that really helps you thrive. Um, So kind of the topic of discussion today is thinking about self-care and graduate student life. Um, But as I was preparing for the podcast, I really thought that a lot of these kind of uh, topics that we're discussing today and a lot of the strategies that we're kind of going to be discussing as well really bode well for other careers and early career professionals. Um, So I don't think this is necessarily should be considered solely in the silo of graduate school. Um, I think that's just kind of the the content in which both of us have kind of explored this topic. Um, So I think if there are any listeners that aren't in graduate school, then a lot of these things will focus on some of your experiences as well. So I think that it's pretty cool that that can happen too. So the question that I have for you, Katie, Mm -hmm. is um, how did you first become interested in the topic of kind of graduate student life or self-care or making sure that we're focusing both on our mental and physical health? Um, Really, it was struggling as a grad student. Um, You know, I started my PhD super excited about my work and really dove in. I took three years off, about three years off between my bachelor's degree and I worked and then came back to grad school and felt like I was super ready and knew what I was getting in, you know, what I was in for when I went to grad Mm -hmm. school. And and then all of a sudden I felt really over my head in a lot of aspects. And a big one was I was really quickly losing my sense of self 
And I was really quickly losing my identity and I was becoming, hi, I'm Katie. I'm a PhD student, period. (laughs) And you'll notice when you asked me to introduce myself, that wasn't what I- You were hesitant. Well, Mm -hmm. and that wasn't what I led with, right? I mean, I mentioned that's part of me, but I'm I'm really working to still, you know, I'm in, gosh, year seven now. I'm still working to- rediscover who I am outside of my work because it has been such a dominant part of my life for the last six and a half years at this point. Um, But, you know, I just became interested in grad student life and self-care because I really struggled with it. And just starting by talking with my cohort, um, you know, and finding that other people had these same struggles, but everyone was so scared to talk about it because did it mean I wasn't supposed to be here, right? Imposter syndrome, really is there going, you know, well, if this is what it is, you you know, you just have to be able to deal with this. This is how it works. And I didn't know anything different. Um, And so, you know, I really struggled with it. And I found that when I talked to other people about it, I felt better knowing that I wasn't alone. And I could see that they felt better knowing that their struggles were not theirs alone. And that's really how it started was within my cohort and kind of us voicing our concerns to one another. And so what ultimately led from discussing it in your cohort to kind of expanding further into kind of this social media space or more public space than perhaps just your cohort? Yeah, that really started with a blog post I wrote several years ago. Um, So I started in a different lab than the one that I'm in now, my original Mm -hmm. lab, which I thought was my dream was going to be my dream graduate school experience. And I was so excited and I moved across the country and my then fiance, now husband moved across the country and we were so excited. And that really fell apart um, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, It was just not a positive environment for me. And I wrote a blog post about my experience changing labs and why I changed labs and how and had a you know it has a few tips at the end for if you're struggling here's what you can do because this is what helped me and that got a few shares here and there but it was really the feedback I got from people that went Mm. I had no idea that other people changed labs too I thought I was the only one or I thought I was a failure because I changed labs and it didn't work out for me you know and and it was yeah. really just from that one blog post that still several years later occasionally will pop up uh, on Twitter. Someone just shared it again today, actually, um, about like, I think it's called grad students. You're not stuck. If you're unhappy, you can make a change. And mm-hmm. that seemed to really resonate in that. Just the positive feedback from that gave me um, the confidence to say a little bit more. And then I'd get positive feedback. So I'd say a little bit more. And it just kind of grew from there. I guess it wasn't planned or anything. Like I didn't set out when I, <laughs> when I joined Twitter, it's because I love doing science communication and I love talking about sea turtles and the ocean. And I totally thought that that was going to be my voice. And through the feedback from people through um, different books that I've read have really, but really helped me find my voice and really helped me kind of put words to these things I was feeling and uh, you know, just the the positive encouragement from so many other people, you know, across the world, really, that mm-hmm. that have emailed me or sent me a message on Twitter saying, you know, thanks so much. I didn't realize I was alone or it helped me advocate. And now I have my master's from a different lab and just really positive feedback that I was, you know, uh, really honored that people are sharing their stories with me. I always am. Mm-hmm. But it was really that feedback that was like, there's a space for this. And I am 
in a spot where my advisor now really encourages these kinds of discussions. So I am in a spot where I feel safe saying these things out loud. And I want to try to make the change that I really believe in, in this space where I feel like I, I have a voice and it's okay for me to use it. It's so great because I, I feel like we often kind of share and talk about these positive experiences and, oh, I got a grant or I got admitted to this workshop or um, all these like great and positive things that um, are great to share. But then there's also kind of the other, the other side of the coin that I think we don't talk about enough. And that's why I think I was really drawn to a lot of your blog posts and your Twitter, uh, a lot of your tweets, because they do really uh, kind of peel back some of the layers of graduate school, in particular, a lot of the struggles and a lot of the the difficulties that both I'm facing and other graduate students are facing. So I really appreciate what you do and applaud you. And I really, it's, it's just super great. And so I'm glad that you're here talking about it. Thanks. And I should say too, I mean, part of it really started as something that was kind of cathartic for me when I was yeah. going through a hard time. And even still, oftentimes I'll just have a conversation with a fellow grad student, with a friend, or I'll see a, a thread on Twitter and I'll just get angry about something or frustrated that we don't talk about it. And so I talk about it and mm-hmm. um, it really can be, like I said, cathartic for me. And it's something that I really got. There's a, um, a book by Dr. Brene Brown. Um, people have probably heard of her. She's pretty well known, but she's a she's a psychologist. She's got her uh, PhD and her LMSW, and she uh, wrote this book called The Gifts of Imperfection that Ooh. I read. Gosh, I think over a year ago now. I've read it a couple times, but I read it. It was like this book is written for academics. It's about being a perfectionist and setting your sights up high and not talking about your struggles and how we perfect, perform, and please, and you get lost in the cycle of never-ending work to chase the next goal. And you just yeah. like make yourself so busy that you don't have space to just be. And she talks about when you struggle with things, how important and how freeing it can be to speak words to your shame, is how she puts it. And mm-hmm. so part of it is these things that I've been told flat out that because I want to take time off to see my family because I want to spend time with my husband. I have been told flat out that I do not belong in academia, that um, there is no place for me here if I will not make research my whole life. And, you know, so I started to put words to that. And it seemed that a lot of other people felt the same way. And so really, you know, it started as this kind of cathartic and me kind of practicing from this book that I read that really spoke to me, (laughs) that um, really helped me kind of find my voice and decide that I I did want to keep speaking out about these things. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to read that book (laughs) because that sounds like a lot of the things that I struggle with, Um, particularly like you mentioned, like deprogramming that uh, constantly seeking a goal that never ends because it just gets replaced with another one. Yeah. Um, so I think that that sounds like a great book for me to read and check out. Yeah, I highly recommend it. I, I read that part and I underlined it and like highlighted it. It was like, oh my goodness, this <laughs> it's like it was written just for me. Um, but it's really, it's really <laughs> helped me say no to a lot of things too. Like it's, it really helped me realize that I don't have to do everything. I don't have to keep chasing that next whatever that right. I can say, no, I'm not available to do that. And I don't have to give a reason. I don't have to feel bad for saying no to things. I can just say no. Um, I don't have the capacity for that right now. 
And that in itself was super freeing for me um, as a PhD student and also just as a person um, to realize that I don't have to do everything that I'm asked. It's okay to set boundaries, um, you know, in work and personal life. It's important to set boundaries and it's okay to do that. And saying no is awesome. It's like my favorite thing to do now. (laughs) I agree. Yes. Someone that was really close to me, a good mentor of mine once told me that because they felt like they approached me and they're like, I love what you're doing. You're doing great stuff, but I feel like you're overworking yourself. Mm -hmm. And they said, um, one of the, the biggest impacts was the fact that you can say no. And that they said that when a situation comes around, just because it's this really great thing that you think will advance your career or, uh, like set you set you apart from other people it doesn't necessarily mean that you should say yes to it you need to like assess like how you're feeling and she also said that if it's the right time or if it's not the right time then perhaps the the an, a better opportunity or some or one that's very similar will come around again when you are ready um so i think that's one of the another big thing that a lot of people struggle with is this idea that if I don't say yes right now, it'll never happen to me again. Um, and feeling that pressure of not only doing it for yourself and your career, but also making sure that you apply those things to your personal life too. Like if someone asked me to go out to dinner and I've had like a super long day and I just want to curl up on the couch, like you can say no yeah. <laughs> and enjoy that time for yourself. It doesn't have to only solely pertain to kind of this academic space, which I, I love that you said as well. Yeah, absolutely. And something that my advisor said to me, um, not this past summer, but the one before I was setting up to apply for some big postdoc fellowships and really kind of power forward with a research career, which was kind of out of character for me, but I just had kind of gotten really locked into it and was really excited about this project and had committed to all this stuff. And then had a conversation with my husband that was like, oh no, this is not really what I want to do. And it's not where we want to live. And it's not really what's best for me in my career. And it's not what's best for us as a partnership. And Mm -hmm. I felt really scared and stuck because I had already told these people I was going to apply for a postdoc with them. And I talked to my advisor and said, you know, now that I've really thought about this more thoroughly, like I said, I said yes too quickly to the opportunity, really. Um, And once I took a step back and, you know, really thought about it and realized it wasn't for me, I was panicked because now I felt stuck. And my advisor said, you are not required to do anything that you don't feel is right for you and for your life. And if you need to tell them, I really appreciate your support, but this isn't going to work for me right now, you can say that you're not stuck. And while, you know, you don't want to commit and pull away from too many things, but correct. my dad always says, you make the best decision you can with the information you have available at the time. And sometimes that's going to change. And if it changes and becomes this is really not right for me, then it's okay to say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I committed too quickly, and I need to take a step back from this. And my advisor telling me that I could say no, and that I could say that that wasn't right for me was also just so freeing to realize that I wasn't trapped. Um, and it's, it's really helped me shift my mindset, even just thinking about my PhD, because for a long time, I just kind of felt trapped in my degree. Because you're in it for so long and you're just like, is this project ever going to end? And I love what I get to do. My work is 
wonderful and exciting and I really enjoy it. But I have felt kind of just stuck in my degree and realizing I had that freedom really helped me to think I'm doing this for me and on my terms and I'm going to finish my PhD in a way that is the best for my mental health, my physical health, my interpersonal relationships. And it really helped me reframe how I think of my degree as something I do, but not who I am. And that in itself has been really, really just freeing. struggle with this thing that we call work-life balance that is kind of this mantra that is often kind of told to graduate students when you're in orientation or um, what have you like oh you have to make sure and balance your work and your life Um, but that's as far as they go they just tell you that that's what you're supposed to do and I feel like it's such a daunting task because oftentimes when I'm thinking about this work-life balance I'm stuck in this gray area where I don't really relax if I'm off or if I'm trying to relax and I don't really because I'm not getting work done but I'm not relaxing because I'm sitting there worrying about work Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's really difficult to kind of frame it in such a way of like just all you got to do is balance your work in your life like it's just like just go for (laughs) it like you got it (laughs) well and it's something that I get yeah we were taught that in our uh, grad student orientation Um, I started my PhD at Texas A&M and we had what we called pizza class every Tuesday night for all the new the new cohort of grad students. And they would give us pizza for dinner. And then they'd have people come in and, and talk. And one week they talked about the importance of work-life balance and family. And then the next week they had two professors come in that said, if you stop thinking about your work for more than six or eight hours in a row, then you're going to fail. And most of you are going (laughs) to fail. And so we all literally went into this huge panic and we went into overworking ourselves. We were working 17, 18 hours a day, five days a week, and then binge drinking on Fridays all together, being Mm -hmm. hungover on Saturday, and then basically starting it up again on Sunday. Sunday. And we never really were turning it off. We were just numbing everything. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Which is a whole other <laughs> problem, <laughs> a whole other problem on its own. But yeah. it really was, you know, we were told have this work life balance. And then in the same context, also told, but don't really have that. And, you know, it's hard. It's hard in any, any, any job. You know, my, my brother's a project manager. He's got his uh, MBA and, and he struggles with that in, you know, in a construction company setting. So it is really yeah, this sure. thing that, you know, we want to work hard. We want to be successful. Most of us like being successful. So there's this feedback loop of we're doing a really right. good job. So we just want to go, go, go. But I always think like how much more productive would my whole cohort have been had we been yeah. happy and rested and fulfilled in other parts of our life? How much more inspired would our work be? Because science, all science, is a creative endeavor. And you need to be able to use that creativity to drive your science, whatever science that may be. And I think when we're exhausted or hungover or overwhelmed because we just can't stop thinking about everything that we need to be doing, you know, we have to-do lists that are years long. 
And I just think how much more productive I could have been all those years had I actually taken healthy time away and healthy time off. And I still feel guilty. I'm not immune to that. I talk a lot on Twitter about, you know, taking time off and it can be hard for me to turn it off or to not feel bad about turning it off. But it's something that I've noticed when I come back to my work after truly taking time away, I am refreshed and I am excited and I'm happy to dive back into it. It's not just this thing that I have to do over and over again. It's this thing that I get to do because now's my time to focus on it. Yeah. So with that in mind, do you have any tips or tricks or things that you could offer our listeners? Uh, things that have been helpful for you or? Yeah, absolutely. So things that have really worked for me, um, going to therapy has been really, really helpful for Great. me. Um, that gives me a designated space to talk about and really think about and mull over certain things that I'm dealing with, whether that be school mm-hmm. or personal related. So that has been super helpful for me. Also, disconnecting. I mean, I try to go at least one day a week where I don't check email. I don't go on Twitter. I don't go on Facebook. I basically just keep my computer and my phone off. And uh, my husband and I will go on a hike or we'll take the dog and go do something or we'll watch a bunch of Netflix um, and just really be present everywhere else mm-hmm. except for in my academia and related <laughs> areas. Right. Yeah. And that is it's it's hard to go a day without logging into email because it's so accustomed. I'm so accustomed to doing that multiple times a day that it's not something I always think about. So when I take a day away from that, I have to really be conscious of it, um, which I don't like, but it's true. (laughs) And um, so, yeah, really disconnecting, like truly disconnecting is something that I think can be really helpful and making something that you enjoy doing for you, not academic you, but just you as a person, a priority at least once a week. I mean, if not more, right? If you like to go Mm -hmm. hiking and you can go hiking where you live, go on a hike. If you want to just binge watch some TV show on Netflix and that helps you relax, do that. And just make it a commitment. Schedule it in like you would a committee meeting or a deadline for something. And that's what you're doing at that time. And I think that 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 can be helpful, especially if we schedule it in. I know that sometimes it's like, okay, this is a task I have to complete. Um, And it can, sometimes that helps with the guilt, not always, but sometimes that can help be like, this is my designated time to just be, and that's okay. So yeah, so seeing a therapist, really disconnecting, and then making a priority of doing something that, that makes you happy. Um, that's not work related. I love all of those. Those are great. Um, some of the things that I've I've been trying to do, um, which one of them I'll say is does not. Well, it may work for some people, but I don't recommend it. Is my first thought was, oh, I'll do a little bit of work on both days to alleviate that guilt. Um, but still, that didn't that didn't work. Um, I tried it on a trial basis, <laughs> and <laughs> do not recommend. Um, The other thing that I have recently started doing is trying to do more like, I don't want to say relationship building, but like, uh, like calling someone when I get home from school and like having a long conversation with a friend I haven't caught up with or Mm -hmm. asking a friend out to dinner or, um, just trying to do more kind of like social activities that really Mm -hmm. require me to step away from what I'm doing. Um, 
I joined a book club, which has been great because before, like it had been years since I read a, like a book for myself because I was so bogged down and kind of like sick of reading for like academic time yep. that I wasn't reading for like personal time. Um, and so I've really gotten into back into reading, which I just love so much because that is something that I can step away. I can disconnect. I can light a candle and just read and just kind of block out everything else. Um, and I think going back to some of your creativity stuff, like I've been inspired by stuff I've read in books to be like, oh, I can connect this to this. So I think really trying to step away, it really helps you make some like real world connections to your work and um, really connect things in these new and cool ways, which I think is something you can't do if you're nose deep in your work all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And those real world connections are so important, especially as yes. we're in this time where scientists are so questioned and seen kind of as other, right? People don't yes, just correct. really... They can't identify. Yeah. Uh, and so again, you know, how much more relatable can we, could we all be if we actually interact more often on a day-to-day -day basis with non-scientists, whether that be yeah. playing in a soccer league or joining a book club or even playing like an online game, you know, not every, mm -hmm. not every scientist has to be super outgoing and want to be friends with everybody, but there right. are different types of connections we can make to the outside world um, that I think are hugely beneficial one, because it also helps us remain grounded in that world. Um, yeah. And it also builds those connections with people that might have different outlooks than we do. And not only can they see hey, this person's a scientist, but they're also all these other things. And we have these things in common, but it also can help us better understand where other points of view are coming from also. And so I think that there's a lot to be said to that connecting with uh, people, you know, just on that human basis, not on a, I'm a scientist. Are you a scientist? Oh, great. Let's just talk about science. Um, and there's absolutely a place for that, but it doesn't have to be and that shouldn't be all the time and it's so easy in grad schools um, to really lose your emotional capacity because you're just so drained from everything that grad school requires and it can be really easy for that to take a toll on your interpersonal relationships whether that be a romantic relationship or just friendships you know because because you are so just depleted from focusing so hard and trying to meet all the deadlines and just running this race that seems to be never ending. Um, and I think that by having these outside hobbies, by putting in the effort to connect to friends you haven't talked to in a long time, I think that's a great idea uh, to, you know, when you get home to call someone you haven't talked to in a while um, or to get involved with uh, different hobbies outside of school to have those connections. While they do require effort, I think they can also help kind of refill our tanks, our emotional yeah, yeah, <laughs> tanks yeah. by having these other connections and, you know, reminding us that at the end of the day, we are not defined by our research. We are not defined by how many grants we got or which grants we got that, mm -hmm. and that we're not always going to be successful and that's okay. And we're not defined by our successes or our failures in grad school, that there's so much more to us. And I think that seems so simple, but it's so easy to lose sight of that when you're right in the middle of trying to get everything done. Yeah, I agree. And I would also add like our happiness mm -hmm. is not defined by it too, because I, it's like, like we kind of talked about, it's this feedback loop and like you're successful. So then 
therefore you're happy. And so it's like this, and it's trying to disconnect those things, I think is what we should do. So uh, I just lost my train of thought, but there was something great that, oh, um, another thing that you mentioned, I think having this, like we, like you were talking about having one foot in kind of both worlds is really helpful too. And I have a, I don't know if this is true, but I have a feeling that um, kind of you being a scientist and showing your human side to other people that aren't necessarily in the science world helps build trust in scientists and what we have to say because they're like you know what I hung out with this really cool scientist and um, we just talked about regular things and they put their pants on the same way that I do and um, so I have a feeling that it could be really uh, probably not directly trust building but like implicitly um, helpful too so yeah absolutely it's creating connections right it's it's finding ways to connect to people. And, and I've, I've taught some science storytelling workshops at a few different places. And, and I, I think there's such a power in sharing our stories, whether it's our struggles in grad school, whether it's um, the fact that I was on a soccer team in high school that never won a game for like three years, you know, like these things that like people relate to different aspects of our experiences. And we share, we have shared experiences because we're humans. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's a power in that connection. And I think about when I do my field work, I'm in these remote fishing villages in El Salvador and Nicaragua. And I grew up in a small beach town. And whenever we could, we would go to the beach and we, I grew up in the ocean and it always brought so much joy for my friends and I to just be at the beach all day. And it was so cool to see in these little remote villages that have such a different lifestyle than I do and that have such a different culture and they're, you know, a very different like socioeconomic um, level Mm -hmm. than I've lived at. And they all go to like as a family after at the end of the day, I'll see a family down playing in the water on the beach. And I recognize that same joy and that same excitement of being in the water and sharing that experience. And so we have these, we have these ways of connecting with people that I think are really important. Again, not, not just so that, you know, you don't want to go at the connection with an agenda that we're going to make a connection. So you trust me as a scientist. Oh yeah. But really, you know, our world is so divided right now that I think the more that we can connect on whatever level that can be really important that can, you know, those connections allow you to see a little bit of yourself and other people. And even if your beliefs maybe differ a lot, there might be some kind of similarity there. And maybe that'll open someone's right. mind. You know, I'm I'm not an expert in that area, but in, in my anecdotal experiences, I found that mm-hmm. that simple connections can be really powerful. This week we're doing something a little different. The conversation with Katie was so fantastic that we've decided to split it up into two episodes. You do not want to miss the dramatic conclusion of the interview with Katie Wiedemeyer-Strombel. Here's a sneak peek of the next episode of Weather Hype. I'm generally a social person. I like networking. I, I go to teachers' office hours. I get involved with things. That's just always been my personality. And as a result of that, 
I had several other faculty members who I trusted and who knew me well as a student, as a researcher, and as a TA. And so I went to them and said, I am really struggling. I am really unhappy. This is how I'm being spoken to. This is what's expected of me. Is this normal? And honestly, some of them were horrified by things I told them and were like, this is not normal. This is not what grad school is supposed to be like. You have options. I even had a couple faculty tell me that, you know, we don't really say this normally, but you need to leave your situation. This is not good for you. Before we close out the podcast episode, Min has been working tirelessly in the field to support the Hurricane Michael recovery efforts in South Georgia. So because he missed recording this episode, he has sent us all a taped message. So let's take a listen. Hey, hypers. It's Min. I'm unavailable right now. So please leave a message. No, I'm kidding. I feel like that's on the verge of what I was trying to do was to make one of those messages when uh, for my voicemail when you call and I don't pick up. But that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to let you know that I am currently busy with stuff for work. I'm working with FEMA and I'm in Georgia helping with Hurricane Michael recovery. Uh, Lots of long hours, lots of work I'm doing. And so um, I'm kind of not able to record for this episode, but rest assured I will be back. But until then, I'm going to let Castle take this one solo and he's going to do a great, great, fine job. I don't know. This sounds weird. When he edits it, it's going to be really awkward. So hi, Castle. (laughs) Anyway, uh, you can take it away. Enjoy the rest of this episode, guys. And I'll be back soon. Finally, as always, you can find us in a variety of places, including facebook.com slash weatherhype or on our website at weatherhypepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter uh, at weatherhype, both words, weather and hype, or you can send us an email at weatherhype at gmail.com. While you're waiting for the next episode, be sure to follow Katie on Twitter at K-R-W-E-D-E-M-E-Y-E-R and check out her blog, katiewiedemeyer.wordpress.com. I promise you will find all kinds of good nuggets of information on both of those platforms. You can also find all of her contact information as well as the topics that we've discussed on this podcast on our website. Lastly, we love reviews and any feedback that you guys can give us. Um, So if you have a chance, please leave a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app that you're listening to. I think that's all for now. So until next time, stay hyped.